What is up, everyone, and welcome to episode 413 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. If you would like to receive bonus Combo's Court content, check out the Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Today's show, Chris Barnett of Twitter Spaces, Hoop Spaces, joins in to talk the Sixers' weird start, Lakers basketball, the good, so-called bad teams, and much more. You could catch Chris on Twitter, at Hoop Spaces. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Barnett of Hoop Spaces does things a little bit differently, man. He does them on the Twitter Spaces. What's the vibes, man? How are you, Chris? I'm, I'm good, Combo, man. First, appreciate you having me up here on Combo's Court. Um, second, the, the the Twitter Spaces universe is in existence, and it's like an oasis away from from what you're usually getting, you know, out from the big boys. Uh, and and you know, it's all about the fans being able to express your opinion and, and the very open forum, but still respectful to kind of push back on that Twitter toxicity that can come out sometimes at nighttime, you know? Like, we all there. It's fun. It's hilarious. We laugh. But we also actually have room for great basketball discourse, man. Like, every fan base is represented. Uh, men, women, kids, disabled. We're, we're all about uh, celebrating the beauty of basketball, like, in a global context and community. It's, it's dope. Yeah, it's very interactive. Um, was there a point where you just decided to take that route when you were talking basketball? Were you thinking about a podcast and you were just felt like Twitter Spaces was better for you? Oh, no. Actually, uh, I go back to Clubhouse. And, and Clubhouse right. uh, was an invite-only social drop-in audio app. And, and before then, I didn't even exist on social media, right? Like, I, I had a Twitter account. I messaged, like, Zach Lowe. Uh, and, and Zach Harper and some other people before they were famous when I was living in Sacramento, uh, covering Kings, watching King stuff. And, you know, time passes, life happens, have a kid, uh, you know, go back to the nine to five. Uh, but I never got rid of wanting to, to be more in terms of covering ball. And so the pandemic happens and Clubhouse comes around. And, and I actually hold a non-basketball room about Naomi Osaka uh, withdrawing from the French Open. Like, the founder of Clubhouse was in there. Angela Yee was in there. A whole rack of celebrities came through. I held it for, like, six, seven hours. And I realized that um, the social drop-in audio uh, is, is a hybrid technology and that there's going to be, you know, room for it. Uh, and, and because uh, I, I had the situation where I had the time, you know, I had the passion, I said, you know what, let me just talk ball. Uh, Twitter came around and said, hey, we like what you do. Come over here and try out our platform, Twitter Spaces. Uh, and, and in one year, we went from 660 followers to over 10,000, right? Uh, we talked all Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Uh, we did it all year. We picked up the W in the offseason. We'll talk college ball with like the likes of Deshaun Tate from CBS Sports and 
whole bunch of other uh, journalists come to provide access to like your regular fan, uh, access that you wish you had when you watch ESPN. Uh, Michael Scotto at Hoops Heights, Jamal Crawford now at NBA TNT, and and they have the same passion and they, and they come through and share it when they can. Uh, but just like every other fan wants to be able to have their voice, you know, Hoop Spaces, what I've created, provides that platform. It's it's very cathartic too. Yeah, most definitely. So I heard there was a little bit of Sixers talk today. I think people are on Doc a little bit, right? Do you believe he's on the hot seat? Um, it's so early in the NBA season, in my opinion, to put any coach on the hot seat, right? I mean, Doc is definitely a legendary coach. Some would say the game has passed them by because the modern game is so different from, let's say, 10 years ago even. Um, what are your thoughts on all of that? In my opinion, Joel Embiid looks very lethargic. I don't know what's going on. That's just what I see when I'm watching him play basketball. I know they might get a win tonight against the Pacers, but what are your thoughts on all of that? Um, I, I kind of knew about the plantar fasciitis a, a little bit earlier than, than some people, um, you know, talking with reporters, they're alluding to certain things. Um, and, and you can pick up after you heard it enough times, like, man, he's probably got some foot, maybe a, a calf issue. And, and I did not expect him to come in in shape, right? He came mm. in physically strong, but he didn't come in cardio strong. And, and that's going to take, you know, probably 18 to 22 games to work him back into there. And, and when you start looking at the amount of games he averages per season, like, that's why they're silly talk. And it has nothing to do with Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers can't make his foot magically heal in the summer to get him in conditioning. Doc Rivers can't make, you know, Tobias Harris hit open threes, right? Um, there's also something in the context of being able to manage top-tier egos. And if you ask yourself who's out there to replace Doc Rivers, like nobody's going to have the commiserate experience of dealing with top-flight egos of a superstar right now than Doc Rivers. So I don't really think his seat is in the hot seat. You know, if they happen to go like seven and 20, right, we're talking completely different story, but I don't, I don't see that happening. And I don't think you see that happening. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen. And I think they decided to go forward with them after last season. It's just somebody they're going to stick with no matter what. Um, I would say that like the, your turn, my turn type basketball, with Joel and James and some of those other players, no matter who the coach is, people are going to point to the coach when you see that happening. What are your thoughts on that? And not only that, I know Joel's foot is hurt, but what do you think about his attitude, his body language when you're watching them play basketball? Yeah, I, I will say this. The one thing that I really kind of wish had happened is that uh, he developed a, a more robust post game that doesn't require a high post or a, a double feed. Right. If yeah. we could isolate him and he can go one on one, like when they played Boston, it was him on Grant Williams. Right. You give up six, seven inches, you're giving up, you know, 30 pounds, and you still don't have a, a bona fide post game against an obvious mismatch. That's really more concerning in terms of the coaching staff that I thought Doc was going to be able to fix. And, and I don't think he's impressed uh, long enough in the last two years. But in terms of the offense, you add in P.J. Tucker, who plays the same position as Tobias Harris, but doesn't give you the same production as Tobias Harris. You, you start both James Harden and Tyrese Maxey, who play the same position as the ball-dominant lead guard. 
And, and you're going to have this one-on-one clunky offense that's going to rely on uh, inconsistent transitions, right? And so that's why we see Maxi with these wild floaters and layups. And, and we see these really bad entry passes where Joel has to fight off a double team and he ends up, you know, throwing it away. Um, you can say that's on coaching, but as the preseason kind of shrinks and, and training camp kind of shrinks, and if you don't have your guys healthy, uh, you don't you don't get to run and work in a, a different type of offense with different personnel. Uh, coupled with the fact that I don't think the Sixers have a bona fide number two point guard to come off the bench, like I don't think anybody should be surprised that they're struggling. To be honest, um, Matisse Thybul hasn't gotten runs. George Yang isn't getting consistent run. Shake Milton isn't, and these are all players that had you know intricate roles last season. And you're throwing in Daniel House and DeAnthony Melton and PJ Tucker paying the playing them heavy minutes to get them up to speed. And I think probably around Thanksgiving, Doc probably has his rotation set. And the Sixers at that point are 500 trending upwards. So yeah. I, I think everything's fine. Um, the biggest concern, no backup point guard. Second concern, PJ Tucker, uh, I think is better off the bench, personally. I, I think getting another shooter in there opens up the offense. Joel has a lot easier, you know, time one-on-ones and one-on-twos, swings it open to the open shooter, and we're good. Yeah, I'm not sure if I talked about this on the live show or or the podcast, but I do believe, in my opinion, it seems like that they're building around James and not really building around Joel. Like, it's almost like Rockets 2.0. You bring Daniel House back. You bring P.J. Tucker back. And you just kind of had this. Rockets 2.0 type feel, but then you want to add in an MVP, which I mean, that sounds like a good idea because back then they were really good. They just happened to not win a championship, but you do that, you add an MVP and maybe something special could happen. But on the other hand, does that make Joel happy? I don't know if that's the reason he seems unhappy, but something's up with him, man. I could just tell when he's playing. Yeah, I. it's hard to gauge uh, happiness, right? right? Like if you are playing and you're not 100%, you're, you're rarely ever happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it could be all you're thinking. It could be all you're thinking about. Right. It could be all he's thinking about. Uh, like he, he's a half second slower. Right. He doesn't get a rebound or a block that he normally would get. It gets on his mind. He can't get the elevation on his little jump hook he has. It gets on his mind. He can't hit the three like he was doing at the end of last season. It gets on his mind. And, and like that's where Doc can do a better job servicing and in regards to building around Harden, I think that was more so to, to get a basic framework of the offense because they want to add spacing. Like the Sixers lacked spacing last year, and, and it's kind of hard to just every, say. Every, every year, especially because yeah, Ben, well, ben and Joel were playing, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be nice, you know, like Danny Green, you know, like, I mean, Shake Milton. Can, can, yeah, yeah, all right. Last three years, we, we, we struggled. Um, but, but if you put those, those offensive principles in with players who've never played them, right, it's going to look worse. So I think the idea was you bring in PJ, you bring in Daniel House, and don't forget they signed Trevlin Quinn in the offseason as well, who was the uh, G League MVP in the finals, to play this wide-open Houston Rockets-style offense. And then the idea is you work Joel in through the season so that come playoff time, you have this construct that you can throw and, and, and lob bombs with these Golden State types. But then when it gets really gritty, Joel's up and running and he's giving you 32 and 14. 
because you're so worried about switching on the perimeter that he gets these one-on-one isos on the three who had to swing back over and cover down, right? That's the idea. Now, the execution is is not going as planned. Uh, maybe that picks up in another 14, 15 games, or maybe maybe they're just old and, and P.J. Tucker at 37 shouldn't start, right? Like, it could be both things here. And I think that that's really the thing we're not talking about. Well, the good thing is James Harden's looking younger. You're speaking about yeah. age. I mean, he does look better, and that always gives you a chance when James Harden is a little bit closer to what he was with the Rockets. He's not there yet, especially when it comes to efficiency. His shot profile has changed, which is kind of interesting. He's shooting a lot more mid-range shots, but he does look a lot better than last season, and I expected that from him. I, I did, too. Uh, that fountain of youth and the DeMar DeRozan training uh, seems to be paying off. Uh, I wish he had DeMar DeRozan's mid-range because uh, <laughs> right. it's, it's nice. But the, the problem that they were going to run into is nobody on the Sixers would, would be able to fill that mid-range role. Uh, and then that would just have the entire defense close in on Joel B. So now if you run this this simulated pick-and-roll action between Harden and B, because then B doesn't want to roll, they still now have to cinch in on James Harden because he's got that mid-range. And then he passes it off uh, to Joel at the high post and he hits that, that shot where he's shooting like, gosh, 69%. So, so like, it's actually part of that dynamic uh, that they want James Harden to take those mid-range. Because if he doesn't and Joel doesn't roll, then what do you have? You have Harden either being called a foul merchant or not making a float or a layup. Uh, and, and either way, he's going to lose. Yeah. You've been watching this league for a long time and – I guess we could even look at that Sixers-Spurs game. It feels like, to me, the bad teams in the NBA are a lot better than ever before. Uh, talent level matters. Uh, a lot of people, they don't like to hear this, but uh, they do a way better job developing talent across the board at, at high college and uh, all of these now high-access AAUs. Uh, they do it now better in the G League. The, the draft process and the way that these players are taken – and developed actually are starting to simulate more like a major league baseball approach. And mm-hmm. I, I'm a big proponent for this. I want the G League expanded. I want a full triple A, double A, single A style system where there can be built in uh, relegation for the minor league because I'm about player development. And I yeah. think that's what we're seeing an incremental step into that developmental process, that, that long term uh, growth plan for the NBA. No, um, you're, speak- and- you're, you're speaking my language because, you know, I talk a lot about the draft here. I talk a lot about Summer League here. I talk a lot about the alternative routes like the G League. Well, yeah. G League's not really alternative route. It is for a high school player, the Ignite side of things. And then, like, the overseas route, which, like, LaMelo took. Basketball is such an international sport now, and it's the talent pool is enormous because of what started in the Dream Team in 92, right, and everything in between. And just we have more players to get to pick from, and the teams are better at the bottom. Yeah, if you think about this, and, and David Stern and I hardly agree, you know, rest in peace, but he's right. He wanted international and global expansion, and he wanted it on a major scale, faster than what I think uh, was humanly possible. I think Adam Silver's doing a phenomenal job following in the steps of promoting it as a global game with an investment in Africa, China, India. Like, you see these camps, these academies start popping up with some of the NBA affiliations. Uh, the NBA just did a, a, another, like, a, a redo for NBA.com India. 
uh, NBA.com Germany, like they're, they're out there. And the, the cool thing about it is that they take what we have in the NBA, but they really adopt their athletic system to it, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it already fits the perfect model for building a game. And basketball is portable. It's the only game that can challenge soccer and rival soccer or, or football as a global sport. You require yeah. one ball, five people, two hoops. What do you have for soccer? 11 players, one ball, two nets, right? Right. It, it's not football. It's not baseball. Like ho- hockey, ho- hockey could never do that, right? No, you couldn't. <laughs> like, you, you ain't going to have the Congolese national hockey team with gold medal right. in the Olympics, right? right. Like, it's just an, an like we, we, Me and you just can't go play hockey right now. Even if we, we would have to set it up, we'd have to get the rig, we'd have to. Yeah, like I think cheap, bro. Like that Zamboni is expensive. Um, and, and like they're doing it, and you see now players who are able to execute uh, at least the physical skill playing basketball, right, at a younger, younger, younger age. And and it, it all bodes well for the future of basketball as a whole. But NBA specifically, as it continues to grow internationally, it starts challenging FIBA. Uh, for like the de facto international body of basketball. Yeah, we have Wemby and Scoot coming. It's going to be interesting to see how these teams are going to actually take because like Utah's pretty good. Like the Spurs aren't (laughs) terrible. I mean, Pirtle was going at Joel the other night. And these young teams, they have guys with young legs, very talented, the Rockets, the Orlando Magic. Uh, These teams, Indiana Pacers with a dynamic backcourt. The Pistons, I don't even know if they'll be they're not going to be in tank mode anymore. They're probably going to be hunting for plans at this point, even though they might not make it. But it's just going to be interesting to see how this season goes for those teams because because they're like really interesting, talented, not so bad teams, you know? Yeah, I, I love the Houston Rockets. Yeah. I, I've been saying it since the offseason. This is a team you should watch. They're going to score on anybody. The problem is, is everybody's going to score on them. Like, yeah. Uh, Usman Garaba is not going to stop. Magic have the same issue. Magic have the same issue. Yeah. Which is weird because they could actually run a lineup. No lie. Uh, With Franz Wagner at the point at 6'10". And literally everybody else is 6'10 to 7'1". But I think that's some of the issue. First of all, the team defensive principles. I mean, Coach Mosley's a great coach, in my opinion. But the team defensive principles aren't there yet. And then when you have guys at that size, it's kind of hard for them to guard in space. Like, right? That, that, That is true. Uh, you saw that with Bobo a lot. Uh, yeah. he, he would fall on the ground because he couldn't guard with space, and the small 6'1 point guard was able to jump into his chest and knock him over. Um, I think that's a time issue. Maybe not with Bobo. He runs a lot like his dad. A lot of people don't remember what Manupo looked like in the open floor. I do. Uh, it's a sight to behold. But, like, they <laughs> have the ability to, to work in these mini switches tighten it in and force the teams to shoot over the length. I think that's where Jamal's heading, right? Like think of uh, being able to go uh, a man matchup and then like bang into a two, three, right. And yeah. then all of a sudden, you know, you've got every perimeter covered, you know, you got two seven footers on the wing and you got Wendell Carter Jr. In the middle eating rebounds. Yeah. And you know, who's coming Wemby. So how would that look? You know, ah, if, if the Orlando Magic get the number one pick, it'd be perfect for that. But, um, 
We're going to shift to something a little more unfortunate. We're talking about good stuff, the young town in the NBA, but let's let's shift to something a little bit more unfortunate, the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> what should they do at this point, Chris? Like, they had deals on the table, reported deals on the table for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. I, I mean, I think that's a great fit. Are they just at the point that they don't think they're contenders anymore? Because why wouldn't you make a move like that, you know? You know, I... From what I understand is that there could have been a deal, but at the time, the Lakers had thought there was going to be a better deal mm. for a player that already played with LeBron James, would already fit with LeBron James. And, and I think what happened is Rob Linka and Jeannie Buss got caught looking and didn't realize like the speed of which they needed to act. And I think they thought they could slow play the idea of having Russ and then still somehow get Kyrie Irving. Because I really think they got beat by Kevin Durant saying he wanted out of Brooklyn, right? And so, like, imagine if you hear all of a sudden, wait, Kevin Durant wants out of Brooklyn, what? And they think they could get Kyrie. They stopped pursuing these trades. Indiana didn't stop pursuing making moves, right? And then at that point, all the moves dried up. Uh, Utah jacked up the trade market with the Gobert trade. Cleveland lands Donovan Mitchell, and you're heading in like all of a sudden, wait, not even the two first-rounders that the Lakers have mean squad anymore because Utah just picked up seven, right? So, like, they priced themselves out. They waited too long, and now they got to eat it. Um, that being said, they did a really sneaky job getting younger in the offseason. They got Friday younger, 50- but they have the same issues. That's the problem. Yes, yes. But what I think what they're doing is they're building the next culture base. All these guys they have, they're grindaholics, man. Austin Reeves stays in the gym. Max Christie, once he was healthy, was still back in the gym trying to regain the high school form, right? Kendrick Nunn has been dying to play because he missed all year. And, like, he has to be kicked out the gym. Like, all of these guys are grinders, and I think what they're doing is really building in, not even maybe for this year, but for next year. I don't think they thought they would be 0-3, but I also don't think they really looked in the mirror and said, yeah, we're bonafide contenders about to throw down with Golden State. I think they viewed themselves at a 5-8 through eight seed, and now they're really starting to realize they might be a 7-8 or 9, maybe even a 10, because they, they still require wing defense, they still require Anthony Davis to either play the five or they need to get a five so he can play the four. They don't really have shooters. And, like, if you don't have those three things, like, you lose to Damian Lillard and Jeremy Grant. Yeah, I mean, I talked about this on the last podcast. There's three things, especially with LeBron. You talk about shooting. You need shooting. You need defense around him. And you need guys that don't play with the basketball. They signed Dennis. They signed Pat. Um, Russ needs the basketball. Like, you didn't sign guys. You didn't get guys that could shoot. And the defense is still lacking. And players that don't need the basketball. Like, you need that. They signed one. And he should start. And it's Juan Toscano Anderson. And I said that, and people laughed. And like, why? He's the only pickup they have, right, that has a clear track record of not needing the ball to play next to a star. Right? It Mm -hmm. streamlines the offense. It forces LeBron to be more engaged offensively. It forces the other two wings to come out and flare out quarter three. 
It'll force his AD to bully his man down. So you don't see this team really leveraging their future anymore to try and get maybe some of these older players. Cause I've linked like some of these older guys, like first of all, they should have got bogey and Detroit got him. I mean, that would have been a great fit, but you got guys like Terrence Ross. Like there's no need for him to be on the magic. You got guys like Eric Gordon. There's no need for him to be on the Rockets. You don't see them making a deal at this point or it's nah, just like, it's just like, it's just like, we're going to put, try and put an okay product on the court, let LeBron get the scoring title, but we're not going to leverage our, future to try and win a title this year because we don't think we could win it anyway is that what you're saying i i i think they they looked at the, the landscape and said there is no move right now that makes us a winner right and if we want to leverage our future we need to wait until the market opens up so that we can get a better pitch and you think they're okay you think they're okay walking away from all of this without making any moves absolutely because then yeah. they, they clear off 58 million dollars off their cap uh, you know, uh, LeBron's extension kicks in, AD's extension is now descending, and then you go into the offseason with, you know, $51 million to throw at a max player who better fits, you know, LeBron or AD. Or what I think happens, because we have this protracted uh, negotiation that is about to happen, I think they end up picking like three or four guys up at 10, 12, 13 mil apiece. Younger right? guys. Younger, 26 to 30. And they come in, they're already ready. They know what's up. They have a two-year window. But because instead of getting one player at 40 mil and they get four players, whether like KCP types, guys that fit. I don't know why they ever, I don't know why they ever uh, got rid of him oh, or yeah, let him yeah, go. Him, let him go is a better way to put it. Yeah. Kyle Kuzma, I don't like uh, that. That like they Caruso? Gave up, Caruso's another one. Like he's not hitting shots, but he's doing everything else for Chicago. Right. He was a high and, impact. He was high impact for the Lakers. High impact. Yeah. Yeah. And and like now you're replacing them with players who weren't ready to play with LeBron. Right. And that's yeah. what happened last year. They had players that are too old and players who weren't ready. Now they have players who weren't ready are unproven players like Winyan Gabriel, Troy Brown Jr., who I'm high on if he's healthy. I think he helps. I think he can be Kelly Oubre esque. Uh, he needs to do better with the three. But like he can give you you know, 12, 4, and 4, but that's not that's not starting, right? That's coming off the bench at 26 minutes. <laughs> Excuse me. So you end up sitting there saying, well, is Dennis Schroeder a difference maker? Is he going to come in and dominate the second unit and give us 15 points every night? I don't think so. Is, you know, Pat Bev going to start hitting 41% from three? I mean, you can, you can hope, like, but I don't see the proven track record. And, and that's where they end up really just not eating Russell Westbrook's salary in a buyout in the beginning of the season. It's really hurting them. Like, if they had just said, hey, you know what, Russ, thank you for coming in. Um, leave 12 mil off the table. Here's 35 out the door. Like, they don't have this problem. Yeah, They're forced to play the young guys. They're forced to be, be different. And, and yet, here we are. Yeah, I mean, and we could end with this. The thing with Russ is that there's no good fit for him because if you if a tanking team takes him and plays him, he could actually drag your team to get wins. He could actually raise yeah. your ceiling still like he did it with Washington not too long ago. And how is he going to help a winning team? I mean, with guys that already need the basketball, there's no good fit for Russ right now. Yeah, uh, the, the Orlando Magic, if they have Russell Westbrook, would be a playoff. Right. Like yeah. I, I, he, he, 
The Washington Wizards. And also, you don't want you don't want to take reps away from Franz and Paulo anyway, even if it does make yeah. you a little bit. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, I, I there's one team, but it requires an injury, and I don't ever wish an injury on anybody. But there's one team, and there's only one team, and it's the Phoenix Suns. It's the only team that it could work because he could run and be rough because Devin Booker doesn't need him to feed Devin Booker the ball, right? And 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 all of Russ's career. He's been criticized being a volume player, a volume shooter, volume rebounder, and a volume, you know, assist guy. Let him be that volume guy. Let him run that Suns team up and down the court. But then when you need that bucket, it's Devin Booker time. So if Chris Paul happened to go down, he fits right in. Now the issue is defense. But even now, you can't tell me that Chris Paul's a better physical defender. He just is better in the passing lane. So, like, I'm looking at maybe Phoenix if Chris Paul's hurt, and if he, even if he's bought out, maybe he goes there. Chris, great stuff. You're always welcome back. Uh, let everyone know. We talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but uh, where they could find you on Twitter and everywhere else. Yeah, uh, it's simple. It's at Hoop Spaces, H-O-O-P-S-P-A-C-E-S. It's Monday through Friday on Twitter, on Twitter Spaces. It's a social drop in audio. Uh, think of it as your, your best interactive conversation talking all things NBA and hoops, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, you can find me uh, just there. Find me on Twitter. I, I'll spread out, but I am Twitter-centric. It, it's where, you know, the people come to actually really engage in good basketball talk. Um, Tuesdays, uh, it's our fun days. We'll get some trivia in there. So if you happen to hear this in time next week on Tuesday, uh, pop in. It'll be fun. I got to join in sometime, Chris. I got to talk my stuff on your spaces, man. Absolutely. You're welcome every time. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. I appreciate you, Combo. There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court. Punch down on that subscribe button. If you haven't already, big thanks to Chris for joining in. Go follow Hoop Spaces on Twitter. Thank you to everyone who tunes into Combo's Court across the globe. Share this episode, share with a friend, share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, share it on your IG stories, and tag me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. If you would like access to exclusive bonus Combo's Court content, check out the Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Be on the lookout for episode 414. Combo, out.